yeah, we have we have ADD. We just have to we have to constantly be be entertained, I guess. Which is shocking that this podcast literally gets any listeners because it basically defies all of that. <laughs> Welcome to the Money Lap. Parker, you usually do that. I do. This is our podcast about all motorsports. I'm Parker Kligerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. Great entrance, man. Really great job. Yeah, thank you. I'm impressed. Um, it is we have a Tuesday. lot to dive into. It's, it's the, I don't know if you had this planned for later, but it is the last Tuesday of the Money Lap newsletter on Tuesdays because we're <laughs> switching the schedule. Parker, the Money Lap newsletter, you had this bright idea that you were like, we do three newsletters a week, and right now it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Let's adjust <laughs> it to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so we can have our Monday video recap, no spoilers, low down force edition, so you can get your recap on Mondays. Wednesdays will be uh, motorsports kind of roundup, and then Friday will be all global motorsports leading into the weekend. What do you yeah, think? It's perfect. You'll even have some betting, some fantasy stuff in there, I'm guessing. So, you know, Fridays is a better time. But as, as you put it, I wouldn't just say it's my bright idea. It just made more sense that if we had a Monday one, why follow up on a Tuesday and a Thursday? Let's just spread it out over the whole week. And one day, we might be in your inbox each and every day, which would be a great life moment awesome. for us and for all our great users. And we just actually uh, hit a new milestone in terms of subscribers on the Money Lap newsletter uh, over 1,600. So welcome to everyone. Thank you for coming and being a part of that. And if you like it, share it with your friends. Send it around. It's great. And we're all going to make it better. So looking forward to that. Uh, you did jump in a little bit ahead into the PR lap, which is where we talk about ourselves and all the great things we're doing, which we've already done here. But we do have a ton of reviews. We've hit 80 on Apple uh, Podcasts. Which, and we're in a quest to 100. So we're only 20 away. Got to shout out the names because we got a, a few great written ones, um, but they all kind of fit, fit a same a similar theme. So Dave K Dave K twelve or one two three four Illinois Outlaw G R V N T Leg Furphy it's like Grunt Leg. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Grunt Leg. Steve, is, you gotta be careful on the taken, internet. Was taken. Was taken. Oh, this one's great. Steve was taken. Was taken, and Jason Butley. <laughs> Butley 223. Anyway, they all basically said that this podcast is like being at a bar with your buddies talking racing or just listening to some buddies talk racing. So I appreciate that and, and love that feedback. Awesome. There you go. Yep. Uh, um, Spotify, we had one. Do you want to read this one? Uh, yeah, this one came from Wes Hurd Jr. Wes Hurd Jr. Uh, heard the opening teaser with no context, officially applying to be sponsored by The Money Lap. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, too, because apparently The Money Lap is a racing car sponsor now. <laughs> uh, Terrible decision. Parker, we're lifelong racers. It didn't take us long to flip to the other side and be sponsors. Um, I could be bought with that. For not all that much. Ooh, that's good. Sponsors love a, a, a cheap uh, a cheap partner. Great value. Send me some decals. Okay. All so right. West Hurd's got a race car. We Apparently. need to get him, some, get him some decals. Also, Potatoes is back with another awesome review. Amazing episode. Congrats on sponsoring a car. Love the insight into Lando's braking skills and all the talk about it. Yeah, that was fun. It was, talk, it was fun to talk about Lando Norris's um, braking techniques at Montreal um parker and i just we love talking about race cars and we love talking about driving we're going to talk about some braking a little bit later in this um episode too there's gonna be some fancy footwork going on i think in chicago so Ooh. we're gonna get into that a little bit more but we just love talking about driving so i i appreciate potatoes pointing out um that conversation because it makes me feel like it's worth discussing and we should um, shout out we... some uh youtube well, uh, reviews out there of comments. So Gypsy Soul Pours nine zero six five said, "New sub here. Saw you on Sam Paley's car this weekend. Enjoy you guys. Oh my gosh, motorsport sponsorship works is what I'm going to say. Works. It was it's worth incredible. every penny. <laughs> every penny. <laughs> Game subs on YouTube and a review from Gypsy Soul. So thank you, uh, thank you for that. Thank you, Sam Paley. By the way, 
Um, also, Breakburner28, I think you guys bring up a great point about SHR missing a franchise driver. This is another comment. Um, last week on our show, we talked about Stuart Haas Racing's announcement with Josh Berry. We talked about um, could they be missing a franchise driver because they're kind of setting up to have a fleet of, what do you want to call it, young or, mm-hmm. or yeah, challenging calendar drivers type, yeah, yeah. type, type uh, lineup. So almost everyone is happy with Stewart's old school approach and Josh Berry getting a big break, but did Stuart Haas overlook someone? JRM was head and shoulders last year. Um, I'm assuming he's saying he's JRM. JRM was a head and shoulders above the field. You know, did they get caught up in kind of that hype with, yep. with going with Josh Berry? That's a that's an interesting point. I think it was a really good point point to say. Did SHR overlook someone? Like who yep. Parker? Do you think they could have overlooked? Who who break? Who is Breakburner talking about? Oh, there is a name out there that I've seen crop up in terms of maybe another seat that may be vacant at Stuart Haas, um, which would be an interesting, you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider him a franchise driver, but I would consider him a top 1% in a certain type of driving. Uh, and actually in what he's been doing as of late, just with an underfunded team. And that is uh, Michael McDowell. Would he mm-hmm. have been, would he be a good option in someone that has experience um, is contending up front and, you know, allowing, this allow that organization to really contend for the playoffs, right? With some sort of uh, dependability. So mm-hmm. that's it's a good question from Breakburner. Um, we have a lot to jump into in this episode, though. So let's rip. We gotta. We have to get moving on. Uh, I just want to say, kudos to Sam Paley in the money lap Miata out there. He was racing against James Hinchcliffe, um, former IndyCar driver, obviously IndyCar commentator, but had some bad luck. Landing, which seems to be something that we I don't know what it is. Our eNASCAR cars seem to have bad luck. We put the money lap on a real race car, same result. Is it us? <laughs> yeah, I don't I it might be us. We might just be cursed. So I don't know. If you're a driver, you may not want our sticker on. But Sam did a great <laughs> job. He tried his best. So we could ask for um we got tore up and I think we're gonna get door out of it. So I don't know where that thing's gonna end oh. up, but um, we did have our sticker on his door and the door got crunched and the door is headed to the money lap headquarters. That's so, amazing. Maybe you can put it with the fast logo that I had sent to your house. The, yeah. The fast <laughs> logo that's in my garage that you've yet to come get. <laughs> I've been meaning to get forever. Long story. Wanted on Twitter. Uh, pretty excited. <laughs> I want it to be in our future, uh, studio one day. Um, we got speaking of big races, we got the Firecracker 400, a huge, you know, the the biggest sim race in America coming back that we run. Uh, the signups open July 4th, so this will be, you know, it's coming right around the corner. Expecting close to 500 competitors once again. We've got a lot of cool uh, things happening with that, so excited about that. And then, just to, a quick um, look back at last week, we. <laughs> talked about the manual EV, the idea of a manual electric car, um, and what would be the reasoning for this and that sort of thing. This got put into a clip on Instagram, and it has absolutely exploded. Um, we've had 66 comments of engineers out there who are, are uh, educating us on why a manual would work with an electric vehicle. Obviously, you have it in Formula E. You have some electric vehicles on the road that have it. Basically... The summary of why you would want it is it saves energy, just like in a uh, car, you know, a normal uh, internal combustion engine car. It saves energy via using, you know, the leverage of different gear sets uh, to allow the motor or the batteries not to pump out as much voltage. So manual EVs are a thing. Who knew? That's interesting. You know what? Um, I think what's interesting about that if is – you know, would we use it, I guess, as a in a performance vehicle, you're still going to use gear shifting as, as a performance issue, right? Like a, you're going to try to find the right gear to control the torque that you need, right? Depending on the speed mm-hmm. of the corner and, you know, the acceleration that you need. Um, but if it has that big of an effect on energy saving... Um, that could be a, a new, a, what am I, uncharted territory for motorsports, for racing drivers to conserve energy in cars, right? We're so used to conserving fuel. Um, we've used the gear to 
conserve fuel, but not a ton. I mean, you're using the throttle more so than others, so more so than anything um, to conserve fuel. So I wonder how that would work in terms of conserving energy if once EV racing gets into the um, more endurance aspect of things. I could have used an electric motor this past weekend. Uh... <laughs> yeah, only a couple more laps. Well, I think we were going to make it by the way. So just a little background. I raced at Nashville this weekend, the Xfinity race, uh, actually did it on zero sleep. And with a stomach bug of some type, I woke up at 1130 the night before and could, was very sick, did not get an ounce of sleep. Um, went to the infield care center at 9am, basically in tears, uh, because I was just in so much pain and knew I had slept zero and was looking at a 90 plus degree day of racing ahead they were nice enough to pump me full of some IVs, you know, give me a couple things to help me get by the pain. And it was, you know, and just counsel and talking to them. They were really helpful. Uh, so thank you to the whole infield care center at Nashville and the NASCAR medical team. Um, qualified 13th. Thought I put in a lap that was actually going to be top 10. Uh, but it's funny when you're, you know, barely able to stand next to the car, how you can just zero in on like doing a lap and it all can go away for a minute. Uh, and then we got in the race, and we were a top 10 car and got spun trying to get to pit road with a loose wheel. Uh, but this brought a caution that allowed us to pit. And from that moment on, it, we were supposed to be nine laps short to get to the end. But by the time we got to, like, 15 to go, the pace had slowed down so much. We were in the lead. We had such a massive lead, uh, at least over, like, the top five, right? So, like, we felt we lost the lead to AJ eventually. Then we lost second and third, but really over fourth. And fifth was a massive uh, lead. And so I was clutching, shutting the motor off, Landon. Oh, rolling you were? It around the top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Were you going, like, were you we were gonna going go for to, it. Uh, really? Okay, so I was sitting there rooting for a caution. I didn't. Well, we were, we, they weren't sure. They really didn't, they were thought we were like nine short to start the run. So they said, just go. And then when we got to like 15 to go, we lost the lead to AJ they did more math and they were like, Hey, we're actually only like three short or less. So it was like, well, I can, I'm going to make that up. Like I can do that. And we're going so much slower. I mean, the pace, you know, we went on an 80 lap run, the, the rubber laid down, the pace slowed down so much. Uh, I was basically already saving a little bit throughout that run. Cause it just felt like it had a green right. flag feel. And I was like, we can't be nine laps short. I'm looking at the thing they have on my dash that says we can go 70, laps forever and we were at like 78 to go when we went green or 77 so i'm like it can't be so i um i started i learned that from brad keselowski back in 2012 i want to say or 2011 he won a race at kansas clutching and shutting the motor off and coasting through the corners and so that's what mm -hmm. i started doing and i think we would have made it so anyway Dang. we did okay well, did, we didn't uh, get yeah, the chance I went for a caution because i thought you were gonna have to pit mm -hmm. um but yeah, and it seems like if you the caution would have come out, if you would have made it, you would have been top five. Yeah, I think we would have got a top five. And then if we, we pitted when the caution did come out, and we put on an older set of tires that was just cooler, and I could not mm -hmm. get the right front to work. Um, yeah, and just, it killed us. That just it, never works. Yeah, and it, if, the, if the first restart goes green, I think we finished you know, seventh or eighth. Uh, mm -hmm. But the second one, I got swamped. And so is what it is. Oh, yeah, well. so it was – anyway, I got done with that, and – was trying to come back to life, went to Chicago, which was cool, did the hits there uh, for the street course. We'll dive into more of that later in the episode. But, um, yeah, it was a heck of a weekend. So let's move on to other forms of racing, should we? Yeah, because we didn't have any Formula One racing this weekend, but we did have some interesting news come in uh, yes yesterday, I think it was. Um, so more F1 top signals coming in. <laughs> this is kind of cool stuff. <laughs> um, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, the actor, is now part owner in Alpine. How cool is that? A lot yes. of money. Two hundred and eighteen million dollars <laughs> for twenty four percent. Um, that's a uh, some pretty lofty expectations on growth, I suppose. And it, actually, one of the biggest notes that I learned from that and saw from that is that they plan on reinvesting pretty much all that money into the team. This isn't like a cash out to the team. Yeah. Never mind. So this is interesting. So, pretty bullish. You know, we've, 
Well, we've entered an era of manufacturer team. There's a lot of I want to unpack here. First and foremost, Ryan Reynolds is not the only one who invested 218. He's a pool of investors, including I think Rob McGillery, who is from um, what's it? It's always sunny in Philadelphia, fame. Mm. And you know they bought that that minor league soccer team over in England and have just they created a documentary around it and a whole content series and it blew it up and they've actually been able to go to the next level and it's been a huge success for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think this is a group of investors plus them two involved. And I think, you know, if I look, read the tea leaves a little bit, there's obviously an intention to do something similar here with Alpine. But I actually think the investment side that no one is paying attention to that is interesting is one, yes, there's content involved. And obviously Ryan McReynolds has – Ryan Reynolds, sorry, McReynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds right. has a – Huge, a great history right now of taking challenger brands and you know he's a great he has a great vc firm that comes in and also does the marketing and he has a great marketing firm and he does a lot of the creative and or is a part of the creative and so he's been very successful as of late and there's a lot of um talk about his success with that and so i'm sure that's part of it but alpine i think in 2026 is planning to start selling cars here in america they don't sell really? in America right now. Yeah. So Alpine is owned by Renault, which does not sell in America. They're going to bring a couple of the Alpine electric uh, sports cars to America. So I'm no rocket scientist, but we're seeing one with Lance Stroll and Aston Martin, how they have basically made Aston Martin synonymous with the F1 team and vice versa, and how it's been a huge factor in the success of mm-hmm. Aston Martin's road cars is how well the um, F1 mm-hmm. team is doing now. I have to think that aligning with two American superstars uh, and a lot of American investment, <laughs> while, yes, it's the F1 team, eventually may lead to the road car side, which is where the money is made. So they're valuing the team at $900 million, which is hefty um, because you, you know I think some of my friends out there were like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's less than NFL teams. That's for stuff for NFL teams. And I was like, that's fine. Just know that of their, you know, $350 million they have to spend each year, you know, because there's parts that are in, within the $145 million cap, and then there's a lot that isn't. And mm-hmm. plus engine development, all that stuff is not in there as different sets of rules. Uh, you know, only a portion of that comes from the sport. So that gets, needs to be filled, unlike all other sports where 99% of the revenue comes directly from the sport, which basically guarantees you – as the sport grows to have a return on your investment, race teams do not align that way. So there's a gap. And so valuing something that has a $350 million, you know, expenditure each year uh, for $900 million and maybe, you know, the, the, the multiple on their actual profit might be wildly high at $900 million. That's what I was trying to say. Um, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that's a, the beauty of uh, motorsport, or what's interesting about motorsport is it's a very uh, it's hard to tell sometimes what people's what, how people are going to be able to monetize it. You know, it's it's always it operates as these big businesses, but um, but in a lot of ways they're hobbies to supplement some other large initiative. You know, yeah, um, even. Rick Hendrick and Roger Penske leverage their race teams to benefit the, their dealerships or their, the business-to-business models among their dealerships. I would imagine that Pennzoil, as much as it is a great sponsor partner at Penske, is also probably well integrated into Penske dealerships. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the, the point of that is you, you make a good point with uh, Alpine expanding the U.S., partnering with large U.S. superstars like Ryan Reynolds, um, could be setting up for an interesting, interesting marketing springboard, I guess, when they get here. I I look forward to seeing how this plays out. It will be interesting. Um, we speaking do of get Formula to see One, one back on the track this weekend. Yes, we do. That's what I was going to say. It does look like it may rain in Austria this weekend. So perhaps something like the. Uh, like an act of God, like Mother Nature may be able to stop Max Verstappen from leading every lap, uh, winning the pole, and, and, win, and winning the race. 
Um, I suppose it could. I, I think the best, the field's best chance of that, though, is if you see something like we had in Monaco, which was, you know, rain off and on, creating an uncertainty in the strategy um, and could open opportunity, you know, for for someone to take advantage of that because not only is Red Bull superior in the dry, um, I think Max proved in qualifying last week, uh, yeah, last two weeks ago in Montreal that um, in the wet, he's also superior as a driver in the wet as well. So, um, I think, you know, if you could see some off and on rain showers, track drying, um, going wet again a couple times in the middle of a race, that, that would make it interesting. Except, you, you bring that up, except if we think back to Monaco, Aston Martin had it. They had it in their grasp. They just needed to put on the right tires. And what did they I do? My point. They didn't put on the right tires. <laughs> no, but that's my, that's my point, is that the, the fact that the track was going from dry conditions to wet, and then, but we knew it was kind of, it thought it was going to go back to dry, like wasn't sure how the race was going to end. That, that uncertainty is what opened up a strategic opportunity for Aston Martin. Yeah, um, yeah. If it's just a washout and just a steady rain, then whether it's a rain race or a dry race, I don't think it looks, at, at least at the top of the field, it, it's not going to look too much different than it would anyways. Basically, <laughs> Austria, uh, Mother Nature, Act of God, we need something. Something to <laughs> give somebody you know a what's chance. You know interesting? There's <laughs> a that? psychology lesson in this. Because we talk about how F1 is so much more boring than NASCAR, and NASCAR is all exciting and you know passing and restarts and all this stuff. And F1, we we it's like this foregone conclusion. We already know who's going to win, which is horrible. We can't, we don't know who's going to win this weekend. No, right? we don't. But, no, but it's almost like it creates this this tension, right? Where now that we're talking about it, and even though we know that Max is probably going to win. There's this little bit of tension there that it's like, but maybe not. <laughs> but here's and, how we couldn't. And I, it, 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 I don't. As a racing fan, it makes me want to tune in just as much as <laughs> knowing how he's gonna lose. 500 laps at Bristol, and there's gonna be wrecks, and there's gonna be restarts. <laughs> wait, give that. Wait, bring that voice back. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Uh, that was awesome. You know what? F1 has survived for decades on what you just described, which is when I think of American sports versus European sports, mm-hmm. the best example is football, our American football in the NFL, and then football soccer. as the rest of the world knows it, which is soccer, right? Soccer. Which is soccer. Is ex- listen to you. Wow. Well, listen, listen to this. Hold on. Soccer is the, is the anticipation of, of a moment, right? Of something happening mm. where a goal happens. It's not going to happen often, but it's the anticipation. You're on, you're on pins and needles the entire time thinking it could happen right now. The NFL and American sports are like, we're going to bludgeon you to death with exciting moments. And hopefully one <laughs> of them is just way more exciting than the other 28 million of them that just us, happened before. Right. Us Americans have to be stimulated constantly. Yes. We, we have don't to, like, yeah, we have, we have ADD. We just have to, we have to constantly be um, be entertained, I guess. Which is shocking that this podcast literally gets any listeners because it basically defies all of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a good point. That's a that's a really good point. Um, I I kind of thought you were going to go a certain route about like when you started saying that F one has has survived, you know, decades of of change and it's still here and. Um, and it goes decades without quote unquote excitement or passing or, um, you know, I th- one thing I thought you were going to say is this a testament to them just sticking to their roots. And it's an argument for yeah. why, you know, why tradition is, is, uh, valuable and important. Um, you could use that as the basis for an argument against all of, uh, not all, but like you could use that as a, as a argument, as a basis of an argument against, rule changes for the sake of entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. And where, you know, sanctioning bodies will say, well, we're an entertainment sport. We got to find a way to please the fans. And so they make changes and they go, 
you know, we, we did that double file restarts or, you know, green, white yep. checkers, X, X, Y, Z, you know, all these things. It's like, we're an entertainment sport. So, you know, you, you got to let us do it. Uh, but then <laughs> at what point do you make so many changes that you've lost your identity? There's, there's an interesting debate to be had there where um, you can, you could compare that to a sport or any sport that just doesn't change for decades upon decades. Um, and, and that nostalgia is maybe what, or that tradition, that brand, I don't know what you want to call identity. Um, that's what just compounds over years over years and makes it, um, you know, immortal, I guess. Well, and that's been a lot of the fight and consternation amongst, you know, diehard F1 fans that have been around for a long time, especially your European and, and foreign fans outside of F, of America who have not generally enjoyed a lot of the changes that Formula One has gone Formula One has gone through in the last couple mm-hmm. of years with, you know, the sprint races and changing, you know, all sorts of different rules and what happened between Max Verstappen and uh Lewis Hamilton the end of Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one. You know, you have these moments where it has become clear, and this started six, seven years ago, where we've talked about this many times ad nauseum on this podcast, where Formula One has chosen to go towards this entertainment route as opposed to pure sport because they felt like, you know, this is the growth opportunity. On the flips, you know, on the other part of that scale is NASCAR, which is willing to make changes mid season in between races, sometimes on a race weekend, whatever it takes. And I, I think personally, although I love obviously I'm in NASCAR, I think I think it has gone too far often. You know, the the choose cone to me is the yeah, I just still don't understand it. I don't get why it's a thing. I have yet to see it create any difference in racing to me. Um I feel like if you're running second and you have to fly up at the bottom, hey, run first. Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why we have it in road courses. I don't, like, I don't know why we keep expanding it to different tracks. Um, double file restarts. I feel like when that came about many years ago, you know, back, was it, 09, 2010? I thought the same thing. I was like, why? Who cares? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. So mm. I, I do think there's areas where, you know, you can, you can cross that line. But, um, you know, that's the, the, everyone has their own theory about what creates fans and what creates gets eyeballs um and you know i think it's you just have to find for your you know it's like any product you've got to test and reiterate and you know find the right cadence of that and some sometimes you go too far and sometimes it's too slow uh and i don't know if there's a i don't know if there's a correct answer and i you know i say those things about the choose cone and i say those things about the restarts but i might be entirely in the minority right and i don't know that no one knows that um yeah i don't know i i mean i like choose cones i like restarts see we disagree restarts i guess (laughs) we disagree i'm also gonna be i'm also yeah i'm also gonna be fined here soon (laughs) so uh speaking of nascar we should jump into it um basically so we raced at nashville this past weekend as you mentioned earlier which i raced in the xfinity race the xfinity race was won by uh aj almdinger who was really fast to start. And then who knows if the body deformation was a thing or not. Um, you know, I think the <laughs> – it looked pretty suspect that he had a kicked out right rear quarter panel and suddenly went really fast at a place that's like severely dependent on side force and entry stability. Um, and it's just <laughs> – I don't know. It's uh, to me, it was interesting, sort of, to see that happen. I didn't see it in the race, but then I saw all when I went back and was like, "Huh." I don't know if that helped or didn't, but to me, I'd love to have had that quarter panel. It's the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. I knew he was going to come out of you. <laughs> oh man, it didn't. That didn't. Wasn't an entirely big story. I thought. I well. It was a little bit because uh, um, Cole Custer brought it up, I think, and on the radio complained about it yes. after the race. So I think there was some discussion, but it kind of went away pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you. That quarter panel looked pretty awesome, but NASCAR let it go. I was surprised they let it go. Um, I feel like they've they have kind of regulated in the past, um, getting the car fixed. 
the right way and still being somewhat legal. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I was like, I saw it right away on TV and I was surprised, like, dang, I'm surprised that NASCAR let that go. Um, you know, they're obviously really, um, fixated on making sure that there's a sale panel or a TV panel on those cars. Because if you lose the entire rear bumper, there's a huge gain in downforce and, um, loss of drag. So, um, yep. But when you fix that right rear quarter panel, it can be weird and, you know, maybe they just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't think it was an issue and maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I was just, I just want that core panel. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, congrats to AJ. He's on fire this year. Anything in terms of the Xfinity series, he's got two wins and three starts. Um, he's been really annoying to race. So <laughs> wish, wish he'd stop showing up. Um, in the cup race, Chastain beats Martin Truex Jr. Lots to unpack here. A sold out crowd, epic event. Uh, Chastain did what he does so damn well which is Aeroblock, and he's one of the best in the world at this. I tweeted about this because it happened to me last year in the truck race, racing for second or third. He held me off for lap after lap at Darlington by just going to whatever lane I went to, and it was the most frustrating thing there was, but I midway through, and my spotter is Brandon McReynolds, who's his spotter in the Cup Series, and at one point, Brandon just goes, he's just going to keep doing it. Like, he knows. Like, he's like, I, I tell him to do these things. So he knows how he's doing it. And he <laughs> did it lap after lap. And I remember getting frustrated. And then sort of the light bulb went off. And I thought, all right, that's the level I have to be at. So I took notes, sort of saw how he was doing it, when he was doing it. Eventually, I got by him. But it was really interesting. And I saw, you know, Martin Truex complained about it the other night at Nashville. But it's it's a talent. It's a skill. To be able to change your line without being overly slow while looking mm-hmm. in the, the camera or the mirror mid-entry of the corner, it's actually a, it's a hell of a talent. I'm not going to lie. Um, and it's something that he does really well. Logano does well. But I think he might be one of the best at it right now. Um, how, how big was that win for him? You know, last week, but, and before I'll, you answer that question, last week – on our show, I don't think we actually talked about it because I don't think we got to it, but one of the notes that we had on our show to talk about was a quarter of a question about Ross and is he, you know, did he kind of get neutered a little bit? Yep. Um, and is that, is it in his head or is he, you know, is it like, what is it taking for him to, you know, cr- you know, climb back to the Ross that we know and love and support? Um, and then of course we didn't, I don't think we even talked about it on the show, but sure enough, he goes and qualifies in the pole and wins in Nashville. (laughs) Um, you know, how, how big was that? I mean, I, you know, even listening to him after the race, kind of being able to say out loud, you know, don't listen to everybody They're you know, um, keep being yourself. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's a huge and great timing for that. Wouldn't you say? It was a powerful message. It was it was a really powerful uh, post race statement of you know hey look at this there's I loved how he put it. He's like look they don't want you to succeed and they will try and tell you what you're doing wrong and hold you back and that sort of thing. He's like you just have to believe in yourself and believe that you know you know what got you here. And I just thought that was really compelling because it reminds people this is a competition and I think sometimes people like think of it as almost like a fraternity to be in the cup series or whatever. And, and it's like, Ooh, we're all race car drivers. Yay. Fun. Cool. How great. But it's like, no, no, no. This is how they make their living. It's life or death. Like we are there to race and to beat every single other one, everyone else on the track. Um, I think Ross brings a little bit of with that. So I think it's, it was a powerful statement. I think winning the pole was cool. And he was like, this is, this took a decade to get to. And in, for many fans, like, whatever, it's a poll. Who cares? It's qualifying. It's like, no, no, no. On that day, he was the fastest driver in the NASCAR Cup Series for the first time in his life. That's a pretty big moment. You're the fastest that, stock car driver. pretty cool. You're the fastest stock car driver in America on that day, in the world on that day, right then and there. Like, nobody's better. So I think that was a big moment, and it just all culminated to 
you know, the race and all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And, and Justin Marks uh, talked about this on social media and saying, like, you know, a lot of people wanted to make more out of that discussion than it was. He was like, I didn't talk to him as a boss to an employee. He was like, I sat down as a racer and just was like, hey, man, we have such fast cars. How do we, how do we just win? Like, what do we need to do together? <laughs> and yeah. I think that's a, that's a cool part of it, too. So, Overall, really big, big for Trackhouse to win in Nashville. As Justin has said, you know, that, that deal started between him and Ty Norris in a, you know, in a place in Nashville as an idea with a whiteboard, and that finally became Trackhouse, and now they got a win there. It's pretty cool. That's, that is pretty awesome. Um, I, somehow it got jammed into our notes, too. I think we're supposed to mention that producer Josh won NASCAR <laughs> Fantasy this weekend. Um, I wonder for how that got and he beat out his dad and the eraser AI bot by three and nine points, which by the way, we have an AI bot that runs fantasy um, and does our fantasy picks for the money lap newsletter. And the bot does really well. I think insanely it, well, insanely it's well. like it does crazy well. Uh, so yeah, we do have a proprietary algorithm for prompting the bot to, to make our, fantasy pick selections and we sent out those uh those picks in the money lap newsletter which you can sub- you can subscribe to at the moneylap.com um and it does well but josh beat the bot this weekend mm-hmm. and it was big for his money lap fantasy championship hopes and he put that in the notes because <laughs> he is um felt that it was important for us to mention that so we go from nashville to chicago which you, well, you hold on hold you on raised, hold on what hold on you realize uh, he did this all while missing the race because he was at Flight Simulation Expo. You had that in there as well. <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted us to he wanted us to to know that he was at Flight Simulation Expo. So great job, Josh. Great job, Josh. But Nashville's job, done. Josh. You're only as good as your last race because we head to Chicago. <laughs> and Parker, you I not going back to your schedule for just a second, but. You raced in Nashville Saturday. You yep. were on the broadcast Sunday, but you flew to Chicago. What What was your logistics there for a so, two-minute hit on the broadcast? <laughs> yeah, this is, two, your, two this is a TV ma- behind-the-scenes TV magic that I just love, and that's why I'm bringing it up because I want, I want you to sh- share with the, uh, the world. Yeah, it looks a little more intense than it is, but... Um... Basically, I got done with the race, but we got done 6 o'clock, 6.30. Uh, it wouldn't be so bad because I probably would have went to this at a party that we had uh, at Big Machine, but I couldn't because of obviously being under the weather. So I went to bed. I slept 10 hours, woke up the next morning, went to the airport, took a flight to Chicago, although my flight didn't exactly land in Chicago to start. We actually landed in Rockford, Illinois. Um, to refuel because Chicago wasn't accepting flights uh, because of a thunderstorm. So we refueled there, and then we took off from there to finally get to Chicago. I got to Chicago, got in an Uber, went to the Hilton of Chicago, threw my stuff up in a hotel room, changed, and thus went out into the, the track, met up with my producer, Jamie Nekrasen, and we went and found out basically where we should be on the racetrack. So it, was, uh, it wasn't an easy flight, but – you know, easy travel, but yeah, it's the power of modern day flight right now. What what happened? What happened on your flight? There's something going on in the world on flights, and I because I got my own flight story that I want to tell in just a second. And, but okay. you, you but you had a new thing that's never happened. You so weird. What, well, guess what? Huh? Get this. So I had this thing where we were supposed to circle around Chicago, but we didn't have enough fuel because it was such a short flight. They didn't fuel it enough to allow us to circle, so we had to to go to Rockford, Illinois, which is 60 miles away from Chicago, fuel up, and then go to Chicago. They wouldn't let anyone off the plane. While this happened, an hour later, I have a buddy, him and his wife and a newborn were flying from Florida to New York City. They got same thing. They, they had a ground stop in New York City or no, no arrivals, so they were supposed to circle. They didn't have enough fuel, so they had to fly to Baltimore, get fueled up, but guess what? They got stuck there because <laughs> they couldn't. They, no one was taking off from Baltimore because of storms, so oh my God. they end up having to get off the plane, get a rental car, and drive home all at the same time. So I'd never experienced this, and basically two 
two of us were experiencing the same thing on the same day. So I, I was flying yesterday. I'm first of all, I'm dog tired right now. I don't know if you can already tell, but <laughs> I noticed. Um, I was, I was, I'm supposed to. I'm in, I'm at home right now in Charlotte. I was supposed to fly to Cedar Rapids, Iowa last night, and I had a late flight, like 9 p.m. And we sat on the tarmac for an hour, so we're already delayed an hour because of weather. And then, which, by the way, I guess yesterday the entire East Coast, like there was no flights got into to New York at all um, yesterday, last, last night. So we sit on the tarmac for an hour for weather. As soon as we go to take off, there's an electrical issue with the plane. We have Jeez. an hour. We're, we're down for an hour diagnosing the electrical problems. And I'm not involved at all. I'm just sitting in my seat. Um, <laughs> oh, really? You weren't, you weren't diving in? <laughs> well, the way I said we, you know, it's like... But there are some passengers that thought they were involved, I guess. <laughs> always. There's always that guy or girl who's there's like, always I'll a take hero. over for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had a couple leaders that stepped up and did all the investigative work for us. Um, because we they, they took us back to the gate and uh, let us off the plane... And didn't, but really gave us no news, and you know we didn't know the flight was canceled or anything. So it was a little, it was a little chaotic, and there were the customer service lines were hundreds of people long because of all the other flights that were getting delayed because of weather. Obviously, we're the schmucks out here with mechanical issues. Obviously, not going to make it. Um, but but you know it didn't take long for everybody to realize that our phones said that the to go to gate C three we were a B seven to go to C three. There's a new departure time. So like okay, so we go over here. We go over to C three. Nobody knows what's going on. The gate agents have no idea what's going on. But there is a plane there. By this time, it's like eleven o'clock at night. So this has been a couple hours, and um, they the flight crews, the first flight crews, timing out. But there is a plane. They're updating the time. Um, the some of the hero passengers are doing their best investigative work and filling in the rest of the crowd <laughs> on what they think is going on. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> we do get official word from American that we have a plane, we have a crew, and that the pilot is waiting for the fuelers to come and fuel this thing. This is at twelve thirty. This is at pa- this is past midnight. Jeez. And so at twelve thirty, they're like, "Hey, we're gonna." We're we're just waiting on fuelers to get here, but we were in order. We'll be boarding soon, and at one in the morning they cancel our flight. This is last night. Oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm you know I'm just like, I get they rebook me on the next day, the same flight, but today. So I'm flying out today instead of tonight later after we record here. But um, it's one in the morning. And I'm like, well, fortunately, I'm in Charlotte. I guess I can just go back home. But because of all of the other delays and everything that was going on, um, the 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 airport was absolutely slammed. Like, oh my gosh, I'm talking, I'm talking Thanksgiving slammed. I mean, it was. I get I go out to the um I go out to the to the ground transportation and there are hundreds of people in line for taxis. I can't get an Uber. I well pulled up and Uber was like eighty bucks to get to my house. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I'm not doing that. So I pulled up Lyft. Lyft was hundred and fifty dollars. It was twenty minute waits. Oh my god. I finally was able to get an Uber to come get me. I waited thirty minutes for an Uber. And Jeez. it was just pure and utter chaos um <laughs> so i i get in this uber it's 1 30 in the morning i don't know I'm, now i guess i'm rambling rambling but um i finally get home and i'm tired i walk in the front door it's it's two in the morning when i get home and um of course i just half asleep kick my shoes off take one foot on the step and i crunch my foot on sheldon creed number two whalen chevrolet <laughs> what 
at two in the morning. And the the this is a car that has been recently run over by a lawnmower, so there is a windshield broken already. Um and sharp serrated edges. The car looks like it's been flipped. Has he actually flipped in real life in the number two car? Probably. I probably caused it. <laughs> probably. Well, so it's an actual raced version now, I guess. And um <laughs> it uh caused great deal of pain to my feet at two in the morning when I was already frustrated <laughs> and tired. <laughs> and there's no reason to have a wrecked die cast in your house. There's no reason to let a die cast get run over by the lawnmower and not replace it and fix it. You know where you can fix your, your broken die cast and get a fresh die cast, get yourself a fresh Sheldon Creed die cast. That's right. Spoiler diecast.com has got you covered. With same day or next day shipping, free shipping on orders over $20 and over 800 unique products in stock, SpoilerDieCast.com is a young company growing in the racing industry. They offer diecast models for NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1 with a pre-order system in place for those hard-to-find models. And here's the kicker. Use promo code MONEYLAP and get free shipping, 5% off all orders. Most retailers don't even offer free shipping, so this is the most aggressive offer in the market. Please don't wait. Head over to Spoiler Diecast today and start your collection. Or, Parker, replace some of those broken cars in your collection. Love some it. of those wrecked cars. Some of those cars that you stepped on. Like <laughs> I did. Because Step there on are... new cars. Go to SpoilerDiecast.com. <laughs> Step and... on new cars. <laughs> uh, that was a really long story to get there. You duped me once again by talking about our travel woes into Diecast. How did you possibly do that? It's so impressive. SpoilerDiecast.com, one of our, uh, obviously our partner here on Money Lap and a great partner who has uh, seen some success from sponsoring this podcast as of late. They, uh, they reached out with some cool statistics and numbers for us. So good to hear. Uh, so all of you that have gone over Spoiler Diecast, keep, keep going over there, uh, checking it out, and use co- promo code MONEYLAP. Let us, let us tag us. You buy a diecast there. Tag us on social media, um, and we'll shout you out and show us what you got. So don't I, – I do want to say one thing about that story, though. I see where your household allegiance lies, and it is not with the 48 spiked coolers car, <laughs> by the way. Where can I get a uh, 48 spiked coolers diecast? Well, we don't have one yet, so when we do, we'll be at SpoilerDieCast.com. Do they have a Jade Buford one? Can I get a Jade Buford? I don't know. <laughs> I would do it. Beckham would, Beckham would know that it was you. He would, he I would appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, Let's move on, so, by the way. <laughs> anyways, I, great stuff. Uh, we'll talk about yeah. I got another good story about kids and diecasts and fun family <laughs> stuff, but we'll, I'll save that for next week. Save that for later. I want to talk about real race cars, and specifically, so Shane Van Gisbergen, also known as SVG, is coming over mm. from the supercars realm in Australia. Yes. He's basically the one. Kyle Larson of supercars in Australia. Also races all sorts of different things, does uh, rally, drift, does all sorts of Hold stuff. Hold on a second. Hold What's on a that? second. What? We don't – Kyle Larson may be the Kyle Larson of supercars. That's true. We don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have context. <laughs> I appreciate I know what you're trying to say but um I'm excited to see I'm excited to see him come over. I'm sorry to hijack your intro on yeah, SVG thanks. here. Um but, but I am going to let you get into his driving style, but I did have one question to pose uh before we dive into that. Would you be more surprised to see SVG just go out and and show race winning capable speed right off the truck and even potentially dominate the rest this race or would you be more surprised to see him go out in the cup field and run 19th what would surprise be, you more i would be more surprised if he was slow hmm. so like of all the 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 specialists that come into our sport right we had kimmy yep. um you know we had joey hand we've had like we're gonna see more um kobayashi i think is running is he running this weekend uh, or is yeah. he not running to Watkins Glen? Or no, is he Indy? Well, I can't remember. Indy. Oh, gosh. So, like, we, we've got specialists that are coming in to, um, to, to try their hands in cup cars. SVG is one that I think could come in and just kill him. So, for multiple reasons. So, first of all, supercars are very the closest race car in the world compared to a NASCAR cup car. 
um, you know, in terms of just the design, all those things. Mm-hmm. They race primarily on street courses, <laughs> like majorly mm-hmm. on street courses. Uh, so he's a ton of street course experience, at least just knowing how it's going to change and that sort of thing. Um, and then one part that's really interesting, though, is that he's in the Project 91 ride for Trackhouse. And mm-hmm. he put this out here, though, that he is right foot braking. He did a test yesterday, which would have been Monday, uh, June 26th. He did a test at the Roval. He's still right foot braked because just to go a little bit into why that is. Yeah. Supercars is the last form of racing that had primarily right foot braking. And it's not just because they're in Australia and upside down. That's a terrible joke. Um, (laughs) It's because up until this newest generation of car, they had a diff in those cars that really did not want you to mix throttle and brake. And so primarily everyone in the design of those cars right foot braked. And then they heel and toe Mm -hmm. a little bit and they use the clutch on the downshifts, that sort of thing. Because of this, in the era he came into supercars when he was like 18 years old, you had to right foot brake. It was only like one left foot breaker, and he wasn't that successful. Um, now, for those that don't realize, in all other forms of racing, whether it's sports cars, Formula cars, especially Formula cars, they were the first to do this. Uh, in NASCAR even, for the last 15 years, 20 years, we are all left foot breakers because we don't need to use the clutch on the downshifts. You don't need to do anything other than match the revs because of the way the gearboxes are designed. So with that, there is some interesting things that happen when you right foot brake. You don't mix throttle into the equation that often, right, which can make it that the car maybe is more stable. There's a gap between when you lift off and brake, which is something that uh, in a Formula car is detrimental, but in a you know, big, heavy stock car can be something that lets the car settle before you start braking which mm-hmm. for us might feel like where we lift and then sort of hit the brake or we're trying to save fuel, it might naturally have that gap, which can change things. But I did confirm with the team owner at Trackhouse that he did right foot brake, and the quote was, that's also what makes him fast. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is going to be fascinating. I've wanted to I see. I think the rear tire life is better. Um, is it? Can potentially be better. Interesting. This is going to be so cool. I'm very, very excited to see how he gets on in the cup car. And I, I, the one thing I, I posted on his um, Instagram and I texted Justin this and I, I, I kind of know Shane cause we used to sim race together back in the day on iRacing and I should probably just text him directly, but I, I just want to know how close it is to a supercar. Like when he got in it for the first time, he was like, Oh, this is damn similar. Yeah. Because a lot of this car was when NASCAR went over and saw the supercars and have worked together and that sort of thing. A lot of it came from their world. So I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the, my, those, those were my big questions was just, what would surprise you more? I think of all the specialists that come into the sport. I, I think that he's more likely to have a instant success in a NASCAR race than Max Verstappen would. Right. Yeah. Now I'm not saying yeah. over the long term, but I'm just saying in a short term, instant success in his first race, here's a guy that literally runs next gen style cars on street courses for a living. And he's the best at it. <laughs> Yep. Oh, there's. That's why I'm like, this is going to be fascinating. I just want to do a couple uh, shout-outs about the Chicago Street Course because, obviously, I've been able to see it in person. Um, I believe that we'll be running on about 20 different pavement types, including ones that are some of a a pavement type we've never seen in our life. Um, We are going to be primarily for the next-gen car. From what I can see in the sim, it's first-gear corners. A lot of first gear corners, a lot of fourth to first gear, um, and you have uh, where you know one thing about the street course that's gonna be interesting is we don't have like when you look at Long Beach and Monaco and any street course they have multiple series running over the weekend lay rubber. With NASCAR this weekend, they close this street course for the public for you know po- close the streets Friday night at midnight. The only thing that's gonna get on it is the Xfinity cars. <laughs> for practice mm-hmm. so myself which will be interesting then we go qualify then the cup cars practice and qualify and then we race and then the cup cars race the next day so it there is not gonna be a lot of rubber this track is going to gain speed massively and theoretically from the beginning to the end it will be incredibly low grip to start it's um, gonna go through a lot of transition oh my gosh so much it's gonna be wild you're gonna see weird lines trying to avoid uh weird bumps there's to uh, into turn four on the sim we're all trying to you know find different lines which is gonna be interesting 
Um, how much? Um, how much practice time is there? Uh, Fifty-five minutes. Wow. And then directly into qualifying. <laughs> oh my god! That's I know awesome. it's wild. Um, I just a couple other things. Uh, turn seven to eleven is probably the tightest area that we will have ever raced on in NASCAR in terms of like mm. width of the racetrack. So that will be interesting. And my belief is to win the pole in either the Xfinity Series or the Cup Series, your car better have wall streaks on both left rear and the right rear by the end of the lap because it's so tight in areas. You just you're gonna have tenths of speed that will be made by via just scraping the wall perfectly. Uh which will look awesome, I think. So well, it's gonna be, be really interesting. What's that? That's gonna be fun to watch. Oh yeah, it's gonna be super cool to watch. I can't wait. Also if you wanna see if you're listening to this, you've already this will already have happened, but eNASCAR will have run at Chicago uh on the iRacing service. There, which we oh, saw yeah. a little, a little yeah. preview, a little preview. Um, so we got the old Wendy's Baconator on the 42, and yeah, the 69 is carrying the Firecracker 400 paint scheme. So, look Love for that. the Collins, look for the Collins, the Collins, and <laughs> <laughs> look for the Collins, and and let us know. Uh, yeah, take a look at get a little preview on iRacing on what the, the Chicago Street Course is going to look like. And before we depart the Chicago street course, we just are getting word of something very sad, and that is that Jimmy Johnson has withdrawn from the Chicago street course due to a family tragedy. Um, so we don't have a ton of info on it right now. I think there are some reports out there. We'll, we will avoid diving into those and speculating, but we are just getting uh, latest news of something tragic happening in Jimmy Johnson's family, and so we're thinking of the Johnson family and everyone – in the uh, Legacy Motor Club team right now. So we'll see how that, what happened there. Um, what else we have before we got to go here? I, I watched, ooh, I got, I watched, um, watched Formula E this weekend in Portland, which was kind of cool yes. because you guys just raced there a few weeks ago. Um, and obviously it's cool to see different cars and disciplines go to the same tracks that we race on. Um, so at long story short, reached out to a bunch of people i know tossed out the question what if uh what if i was the first nascar driver to transition disciplines from nascar to formula e <laughs> i'd love to see it i'm interested that well, would be I awesome we're, we're both we've been talking huge we've been talking parker i mean it <laughs> yep. started in monaco and i know i said oh the cars look slow or whatever but we've been talking about how good the racing is in formula e mm -hmm. and how it looks like fun we're becoming What's big fans. I've been fans of it for a while. I went back. I went to one of the first Formula E races in America at Brooklyn many years ago. Um, and mm -hmm. I actually, when Formula E first came about in 2014, I had you know was going through this situation where Swan had folded. I actually mm -hmm. had a sponsor who was interested. I tried to go do it. I wanted to go do Formula E at the time because I thought, well, hell, that's cool as hell. Like electric, yeah. road street courses only. Um, I just thought it seemed like it was gonna be such a great idea, and I think it has panned out. It's you know Formula One with its boom time has sort of sucked some of the air out of the room. But if you want to watch some of the best racing in the world right now, you have to turn on Formula E. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> the races are so close. It's a great it's, testament to that you don't need high speeds and you don't, and they do go fast, but you also don't need aero. Like well, there's no aero have, though. You know, so I not to get like entirely technical and we're not going to spend a ton of time on this um and we can do you know we can do some q a's later but um they don't go super fast but like you said but they have power right they're they're electric cars so there's there's a ton of torque there there's a ton of responsiveness um but there's not a lot of aero there's you know they're on a, some this kind of street tire so it's not like there's a ton of grip um and the cars are reasonably sized, right? We we talked about it in Monaco that they're not, you know, some really big car. So when they go on some of these street courses and road courses, they they do a good job in terms of having room to race. Um, and it seems like they race well in traffic. And I don't know if that's an aero thing or, you know, what the deal is, but they just put on good races. And that's why I was like, I could do this. This would be fun. <laughs> I think it'd be um, great. It would be, it'd be awesome. You know, I don't, I, 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 I'd be jealous. I as a as a racing driver, you know, obviously I want to keep challenging myself and um and challenging my my skills and 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 talents and I want to win, you know, NASCAR races and would love to, but gosh, if uh 
there could be an opportunity for a sponsor or somebody and you know go formula e-racing for a year and travel the world and race on all these cool circuits be the first nascar that driver that does it that'd be i could buy into that that'd be fun i think it would do well for our podcast which by the way <laughs> we got a before we Maybe jump the off podcast here podcast could sponsor oh me <laughs> in formula e. more money than i think um <laughs> are you getting paid for this <laughs> hey i just want to rip through the money lap uh twitter put out a basically ask us questions tweet and we did get a lot of responses and so maybe we can just rip through some of these pretty quickly let's do uh, it. joe yeah, selby was uh asking if my team was able to figure out how much gas we would have had left at the end of that race we don't know exactly but all i can tell you is i was saving more than they even realized so i think we would have made it mm-hmm. um brandon shell said could we ever see a nashville double header weekend friday at the fairgrounds sunday at the speedway um so here's the thing. I might know. Well, hold on. How do I say this? <laughs> I believe possibly if things go the way people want, there could be two races in the Nashville area, uh, two NASCAR races in the future in the Nashville area. So that's on I'll different say. weekends. Different weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know why you'd want to do a doubleheader. I mean, I I, no. I love Brandon's thinking here. Um, I I think that you know the fairgrounds and the speedway are both decent racetracks. The fairgrounds especially, obviously, it's more than a decent racetrack. Um, I, I think everybody, what the industry is excited to see is when we go to the fairgrounds. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. I think that will be very, very cool. Um, and my belief is it will happen. So uh, John Manning said, oh, this is a cool one, Landon. Mm-hmm. I'll let you run with it. What is the mindset like running in non-competitive equipment versus mid-tier stuff versus win-now teams? Do you have different approaches for each? If so, how do they differ? That's a fascinating one. Yeah. Um, I think that the mindset, and this is, this is tough. I, I don't know if this is a winner's mindset to say this. But as a higher driver, in my cases, a lot of times, driving for some of the mid-tier teams um, that needs to keep his ride, works for a car owner, you know, that wants to operate on a specific budget, not tear up equipment, but maximize everything. The mindset is to really have a good understanding of what the current capability of your team is and and try to get a little bit more than that, not yep. too much more than that. Because we all hit the racetrack and we want to go as fast as we can, right? And the easiest way to try to go as fast as you can is to look at how fast the fastest guy on the track is going. And say, all right, I got to beat him, right? (laughs) But if your car is only capable of being the 20th fastest car, and you're looking at the car that's the fastest car in the field, and you're saying, I got to beat that guy, you're going to wreck. Yep. Right? You may not wreck in practice. You may not wreck (laughs) in qualifying, but you're going to wreck eventually. You're going to wreck in the race. You're going to have bad strategy. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to bring your team down. You're going to... You're... Your attitude is going to change. You know, you're you're up, you're going to crash somehow in some way, right? And so, the the mindset is to say, hey, here's what we can do. Here's where we want to. Go. Here's big picture. Here's where we want to go. But here's what we can do today, and how can we get a little bit better than that? Yeah. Right now, what can I do yep. right now to get a little bit better than that? And that's how you make a twentieth place car finish seventeenth, right? Or finish mm-hmm. 15th. And then, and then you do that enough, next thing you know, you've got a 15th place car. And that's how you get that 15th place car to finish 11th or 10th. Um, and, you know, I think that's how you continuously improve and build on your team and, um, and grow to the next level. I think Good it's question. well put, and you're exactly right. If you want to summarize it, no matter which situation you're in, you have to maximize your race car and your race team what you do to do that can change depending if you're racing in a team that's a win situation versus a team that's going for 20th, right? And the, the tools and the levers you have to affect change and to affect getting better and, and the risk you can mm-hmm. take. You know, for a win-now team who might have endless resources, that sort of thing, it is encouraged to go and spin out going for the pole and qualifying and wreck a car, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost at times encouraged because they want you to find that. For the 20th place team, to get 15th first 20th and spin, you know, going for 15th and spin and wreck a car, not in your best interest. You got to make those decisions. Yep. So you're trying to maximize your car, but you have to be smart about it and know 
what areas and what levers to pull. Uh, thank you to everyone for their questions. We'll, if you didn't get on here this time, we'll continue to add those in each and every episode, uh, which has been fun. But basically, Landon, we are we're headed to the Chicago street course. I'm so excited. I've won a race on street course uh, on a street course since I was about nine years old. I'm so I could not be more excited right now. And I'm going when I win this race. Uh, I'm going to go jump in the fountain there buckingham fountain there you go and start a tradition and then every race you win after that you just have to find a fountain and jump (laughs) a fountain of youth and glory Uh, (laughs) oh let's get out of here good luck this weekend thank you and if you uh, are looking to sponsor formula e landing castle is your guy all right that's it for the money lap bye thank you so much for listening to the money lap please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice and be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.